We're going to be looking at a couple different passages this morning. We're going to start in just a moment in Deuteronomy, a great chapter, Deuteronomy 28. So why don't you find that as we get started here? We have been talking really these last several weeks, not so much in a series form, but I was just trying to land and speak on what God seemed to be saying in a relevant contemporary way and and on the spot way. And so we've just been developing messages from week to week, but it appears as if we've just been landing on the concept of God's presence, uh, soliciting sort of a tangible atmosphere where we know God is on the scene, Him dwelling amongst us. I'm grateful for visitations. I'll take a visitation if there were no other option, but the Bible says the other option is habitation. And so uh, we've been talking a little bit about becoming the dwelling place of God. That's led us last week to, uh, you know, talking a little bit about a favorable season, pressing through dry times. And and uh, I'm going to really leap off of that. And I want to talk a little bit about open and closed heavens this morning. In fact, I've entitled the message, if they've got it together, I've just simply entitled it, Lord, send the rain. Lord, send the rain. I don't know if you've noticed, but America is in a perilous and a tumultuous time period. We have in the natural stagnant economy, uh, there is joblessness. It seems like every time I hear a report with regards to the job situation, those numbers seem to be creeping up. I realize everybody blames everybody and everybody's trying to do their best to change it but it seems as if it just keeps creeping up higher and higher there's there's political turmoil I've never seen a time and you know I'm 51 years old now and I guess I've lived long enough where I can begin to reflect back to another time and I don't know that I've ever seen a time when there's been more political division and upheaval and acrimony and irritation than the era in which you and I live in. We are currently still fighting wars on two fronts. Many have said that we're living in a postmodern or what I would prefer to call it a post-Christian era. The truth of the matter is that no longer is Christianity considered to be the dominant influence in our culture. We, we, we have to fight for even scraps of recognition anymore. And whether that be good or bad, that's just the truth. And so we're, we're finding us, ourselves, all of us in this, in this tentative, perilous time period. And, you know, you heard preach for years, some of you, because you've been in church life for years and you've listened to the sermons about end times and, and, and perilous days. And you've listened to uh, the list of all the things that would happen in that particular era. And no matter what your eschatology may be, it's no longer theory, folks. We're here. We're living in that time. And I'm finding that, that as I just consider it as a pastor and as I try to find what God is saying and doing, you know, God not only has a plan for individuals, and I believe that, He has a plan for your individual life, but that God has a plan for nations as well. Because he, he looks at people. He looks at churches. He has a plan for a church's life. And all of these things are intertwined at some level. You can't get individual destiny unless you understand that you're linked to probably a corporate understanding. I, I, I need to understand that God's going to work in my life, yes, individually, but I still live in the nation of America. And whatever happens in America affects me at some level somehow. And so these things are intertwined. Somehow, some way. And so as God's working in our nation, by default, that means He's working in me. And as He's working in me, also by default, He's working in the nation. All these things are all twisted and tangled up together. Now, I say that because unfortunately, America resembles Israel when it chose to worship other gods and what the Scripture tells us to do what was right in its own eyes. And when a nation begins to follow other gods, and when a nation begins to do what's right in its own eyes, what happens is that God begins to withdraw His hand. Listen to me carefully. I don't believe God sends calamity. In other words, He's, he's not looking for ways to destroy us. 
But at the same time, we've got to get a hold of this. And, and I know I'm parsing this carefully because I believe God is good and God wants to do good things. He desires to do good things. But I want to parse this carefully. God may not send everything bad your way, but all he has to do is lift his hand. He didn't cause it. But he sure enough isn't protecting and, and holding and these sorts of things. And to be candid with you, as I begin to interpret our times, and as I begin to interpret the culture, what I begin to see is that God is slowly withdrawing His hand upon us as a nation. And as He withdraws His hand, that leaves us vulnerable to all sorts of things that the enemy can do in all of our lives. The Bible speaks of this withdrawing in, in numbers of ways, but the way I want to kind of explore this morning is what we would call an open or a closed heaven. God opens the heavens and He closes the heavens. He will do that over your life. He will do that over a nation. Now, let me just share with you real quickly before I jump into reading the Scripture as to what is an open heaven. Let's start there. What's an open heaven? I believe I put it on the screen overhead. I, I've defined it like this. An open heaven is a state of peace, contentment, favor, and blessing that comes from the hand of God. When God opens up the heavens over things, there's just this favor that begins to show up. It's as if He smiles on it. It's as if He's paying attention to it. It's as if He's tending to it Himself. It's when things seem to be going consistently right, it might be referred to as an open heaven. I believe that these are days, and, and believe me, I've been under an open heaven and I've been under a closed heaven. I've had favorable seasons and I've had dry seasons. I've understood the writer of Ecclesiastes when he said there's a time for everything. And I've lived long enough for the Lord that I've experienced most every season. And if I live another 40, 50 years, I anticipate experiencing some more seasons. But let me just say this. I believe that, that as a body, we are in a pretty good season. And I might even call it an open heaven season. Just good things. And so we need to embrace that and enjoy that because, because we know seasons can and do sometimes change. Now, I want to read to you out of Deuteronomy 28 because there's some things here that are really important and usually we only read the first 14 verses and I will do that this morning very, very swiftly. But, but we need to read all of Deuteronomy 28, not just the happy verses. Now listen to this in Deuteronomy 28. I'm going to go through this quickly, so bear with me. The Lord says, now it shall come to pass if you, if you, everyone say, if I. Now, now that's conditional, right? If you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to carefully observe all His commandments which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations in the earth. And these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Now, I'm not going to read this verbatim. I'm just going to quickly move through these verses. It says you're going to be blessed wherever you go. Verse 4, the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground. He's going to increase you. Verse 5, you're going to be blessed in your basket and your kneading bowl. I mean, I, I like to think of that as my savings account and my checking account. Blessed will you be when you come in. Blessed will you be when you go out. You know, sometimes you're blessed coming in and you're cursed going out. And, and vice versa. Verse 7, it says, The Lord will cause enemies to rise up against you to be defeated. They may come against you one way, but they'll scatter in seven. He'll command the blessing on you in your storehouses and that which you set your hand to, like your job. And He'll bless you in the land or your career or your destiny, which the Lord is giving you. It says that He's going to establish you as a holy people, just as He said He would. Verse 10, all the peoples of the earth will see out of this blessing. Isn't that amazing? What's the world looking for? The world is looking for a people who are walking under the blessing of God. That's what the world's looking for. I mean, you understand, they can always find people who are just impoverished. I mean, that's not hard to find. But they want, he, he, he's blessing his people so that the world can see this. And then it says this. In verse 11, He'll grant you plenty, the fruit of your body again, all of these things. Verse 12 is the one that I just want to underscore. It says, the Lord will open to you His good treasure, the heavens. Now, that's just the greatest illustration I can give to you out of Deuteronomy 28 as to what it means to walk under an open heaven. It's when God just opens up all the benefits of heaven. And He allows them to begin to be spilled out upon His people 
who are living obediently according to the condition he spoke when he used the word if. If you do what I prescribed, then this will happen. All right. So that's good news. That's open heaven. Well, let's talk about closed heaven now for just a moment. What's a closed heaven? I'm going to read to you here in just a minute. Some of your versions, when I read this to you in just a moment, will use the phrase brassy or bronze. Now, in those days, brass and bronze were considered to be the most the most impenetrable, the, 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 well, some of the toughest alloys uh, that were available. They didn't have steel in those days. It was either it was either bronze or or brass. And uh, a closed heaven is going to be referred to as a brassy heaven or a bronze heaven. I'll read that in just a moment. But let me define it. It's easy to define. It's, it's basically the opposite of what I just read to you. In fact, it's a state of collapse or calamity and problems with seemingly no relief in sight. Now, it's interesting that 14 verses are used in order to describe what God can do. And boy, it sums it up wonderfully. But it's interesting that if you start at verse 15 and then you were to read to verse 68, and and if I do a little math here real quick, that would be 53 verses. There are 53 verses that are going to remind us as to the calamity or the difficulty or the problems that will come our way if we are under a closed heaven. Now listen to this. I'm just going to read a couple passages. Deuteronomy 28:15. It says, "But it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you." Now again, there's 53 verses of them. Go home, knock yourself out. I'm just telling you, we've read the happy verses. We really probably need to pay attention to some of the difficult passages. Jump over to verse 20. Listen to what he says. He said, the Lord will send on you. Now, I understand in the Old Testament, God was sovereign and he was the one and, you know, doing everything. And as we come to the fullness of understanding, we understand, or at least I do, that whether or not God throws something at me or whether he withdraws his hands and allows something to come my direction, it's it, it's ostensibly looks the same in my life. All right, so he's going to send upon you cursing, confusion, rebuke, and all that you set your hand to until you are destroyed and until you perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doings in which you have forsaken me. Now understand, he's saying this to his people. The Lord will make the plague cling to you until he has consumed you from the land which you're going to possess. The Lord will strike you with consumption, with fever, with inflammation, severe burning fever, with the sword, with scorching, with mildew. They shall pursue you until you perish. Now listen, verse 23. And your heavens which are over your head shall be bronze. In other words, they shall be closed. And the earth which is under you shall be iron. And listen to verse 24. It says, the Lord will change the rain, and in my Bible, I've circled it and underlined it, the rain of your land to powder and dust from the heavens, it shall come down on you until you are destroyed. I should have said I got good news. And I got some bad news. Now, in both instances, it's interesting that God says that the sign of an open or a closed heaven would be the rain. Now, that makes a lot of sense if you think about it, because in the Middle East, in those days in particular, where the climate and geography predominantly is desert-like, that whether you farm the land in order to get produce or whether you were a, a livestock farmer or, or, or herder, shepherd, whether you had livestock or whether you were, you were farming the land, how many of you know that rain's important? I mean, I mean, rain waters the ground in order for food to be produced and rain must come in order for the animals to live. And so rain, rain was an important and critical commodity in those days. It was critical to whether or not your needs would be met. It would be critical as to whether or not you could provide. It would be critical as to whether you would prosper. It would be, it would be critical for everything imaginable. I mean, the rain, I mean, right now we just, we want us a prepaid visa card because that meets our needs. In those days, it was rain. Send the rain, Lord. And when it rained, boy, then things would become lush. And if it rained a lot, boy, I could, I could even get ahead. Rain, 
rain was everything. If you've never grown up on a farm or never had any interaction with a farmer, I'm just telling you, you can't, you can't completely understand this. If you're an urban dweller, most of us now we live in urban settings, even in the suburbs. We, we, you know, we go to the grocery store, we get everything we need. We don't think much about how it gets there. I guess we just imagine it magically gets produced in some factory and poof, there we get zucchinis, you know, and, or poof, there we get cucumbers. But you know, somebody somewhere is growing this stuff and they're believing and whether they're a Christian or not, they're, they're believing for rain. And if you've ever been on a farm, and I'm telling you, you've heard my farm stories. I grew up on a farm, and of course, it was back in the day, it was out in western Kansas. And, you know, I'm starting to tell these stories, and I know that I'm beginning to date myself when I tell these stories, which is really, which is really just kind of, in some ways, just challenging. But, you know, I look at my kids, and I, I talk to them about rotary telephones and party lines, and they look at me like, how strange is that? You know, when they're carrying their own cell number. You know, they, they don't get this stuff. And we're talking, in those days out in western Kansas, it was exactly that, like that. Rotary telephone, party lines, different rings. You've heard me tell some of those. But we only got, let me tell you, we only got two channels on a television set back in, in western Kansas. In fact, it was Washington, Kansas. And in Washington, Kansas, you got one TV station, listen to this, out of Fairbanks, Nebraska. Fairbanks, when you went, to, when you went to, I mean, when you were really going to town, you went to Fairbanks. And then you got sort of a snowy channel, listen, from Beatrice, Nebraska. And if it was a good day, clear sky, it'd come in a little clear. And there were only two channels. And I'm telling you, my, my grandparents, they never watched TV. In fact, uh, again, in those days, if you wanted to get weaned off television, you just got sent to the farm because, th number one, there wasn't anything hardly to watch because you got one and about a half a channel. And, and uh, they just never turned it on. You were just so busy. They never watched it except for one thing. Oh, yeah, the weather. I mean, my granddad was just amazing. Even after he retired, and didn't farm anymore. And, and it was central time zone, so everything, the news came on at 10 o'clock. And he didn't go to bed. He didn't do anything. I mean, the world shut down as far as he was concerned until he got the weather report. And he watched that weather report. And some of you that are as old as I am, you know, we, I, I find myself slowly drifting to the weather channel these days. I used to watch my dad watch the weather and I'm going, what are you watching the weather? I mean, who cares? You can't change it. It's not as if you see it and you can say to yourself, let's do something to change it. Then you can't do anything about it. But, but I'm telling you, as a farmer, that was, that was the most significant thing. They could have cared less about who's in uh, the, the championship series. They don't care about Super Bowls. They don't care about who's divorcing who in Hollywood. They don't care. They don't care that Lindsay Lohan's in her third time through rehab. They don't care. Just tell me the weather. Nothing else mattered. But when's the next rain? It was their life. Now, you guys don't understand that, especially our kids that grew up in this urban setting. They, they don't get this, but they understood it well. They, they understood that if there was drought, food prices would go up because supply would go down. And most of us don't think about it unless all of a sudden we're paying higher prices, distinguishably higher prices at the grocery store, then we might think about it. But the rain, the rain has been a sign of God's pleasure. A lack of rain has been a sign in the scriptures of his judgment and his withdrawal. You know, I, I'm not going to get into the whole global warming argument. Except to say to you that whether it's true or not and whether it's man-made or not is incidental to me because I honestly believe it is probably the natural sign as well as others, that God is trying to arrest our attention that the heavens are closing. Now, there's a really great story. Turn over to 1 Kings. And there's a story that many of you are going to be familiar with of Elijah and about a drought and some things that happened. And I just really want to remind you of this. Elijah was called on the scene because the nation of Israel had entered into such really apostasy. The king and his wife were Ahab and Jezebel. They were some of the worst. Perhaps if you had 
a Letterman top 10 list, I'm sure they would be number one or two on that list as some of the worst rulers, most evil rulers that Israel ever had to endure. And in order to arise and deal with the evil that was in the land, God called a guy by the name of Elijah. And through Elijah, he begins to deal with the issues that are facing the nation of Israel. They, they have opened up their, their land to the worship of the Baals. They have torn down the high places. And now they have put, instead of the worship of God and the altars of Yahweh, they have put in false gods and, and false prophets. And, and it is affirmed. And, 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 and even the priests of the one true God are being killed. And God has reached His point and He sends this prophet on the scene in 1 Kings chapter 17. And this is what it says. It says, And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab. And, and let me just stop here for just a second. One of the things I like about Elijah is you never see his heritage or his history. You don't know where he was born. You don't know who his parents are. He just all of a sudden comes on the scene. We know nothing about him. He just springs out of obscurity and he becomes this voice of the Lord in the middle of all of this mayhem that's going on in Israel. Can I just share this with you? God is going to release voices into our nation and we're not going to have any idea where they came from, what their pedigree is, what their background is, what school they went to, but God is going to let a prophetic anointing come on some voices and they're going to spring into the culture and, and MSNBC and Fox and, and all the major news outlets are going to say, where did you come from? That's Elijah. Just springs on the scene. And he says, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, except at my hand and except at my word. What he's saying is, is that the heavens are closing, Israel. The heavens are closing, Ahab. The heavens are closing, Jezebel. The heavens are closing, no rain. Drought is coming. And uh, it's interesting, I just, as I was kind of studying and reviewing all this, I didn't realize until just recently that Baal was the god of rain. Isn't that interesting? Elijah was just confronting them with their own gods and saying, you may serve a god that you think will send you the rain. You may think you know all that. You may think you're smarter, wiser. You think you've got it all together. I'm telling you, God's going to step in and he's going to pulverize what your god supposedly can do there'll be no rain and there was no rain for approximately three and a half years three and a half years of drought and of course just hearing what i've told you already you know that all the agricultural is drying up people are murmuring the economy's bad it's in recession nobody can water their their animals nobody can raise their crops there's nothing going on in the marketplace i mean you don't have to be a great economist from harvard to know you got econ 101 problems Happening in Israel. But there was even something more significant than all of that which was going on. It, it, it spoke to them that God had closed the heavens. He had dried up the brooks. There was no running water anymore. God was withdrawing His hand. Folks, this is America. Much like Israel, we've been blessed in many ways through the years. Incredibly so. I think... I think supernaturally so as a nation, we've been blessed and we've been blessed. And you've heard me teach this for years because there has been something inside the purposes of America that has always been towards God. And in the founding of America, there was always something in there that honored God. But but I'm just telling you, you can't you can't take God out. Of, of even public life. You can't put God where He's been put in recent years and think that there isn't repercussion to these things. The heavens are closing. We can't abort babies like we do in this nation. And it doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat. I'm tired of both of you. That's it, got to stop. It's evil. See, you'll offend people when you say that. Elijah offend, offended a few too. He did. But you can't do that. They sacrificed their kids to Baal. They did it. The sexual perversions. The idolatry, the blasphemy. You see, our problem is not primarily what economic theory is right. Our problem is not just the size of our debt. It's not just the percentage of our taxes. It's not just the philosophy of government. Oh, these things have a place in our national discussion, but they're symptoms of something deeper and greater. 
These are symptoms of whether we will honor the Lord or not. You can't take them out of classrooms. And you can't take them out of the public square. And you can't tell kids they can't pray at their graduation. And you can't say that you can't say grace over your lunch in a public school cafeteria. You, you can't do this. You can't make mockery of Him like this. You can't put it on national media and blaspheme God and put it on Hollywood screens and do your best to just to absolutely eviscerate Him and think that somehow if there's a God in heaven, He's just this big jolly Santa who's going to let us do whatever he, we think He just is going to let us do. I'm telling you, we're going to wake up one of these days and find out that our brooks have dried up, our economy has dried up, there's no rain, there's no blessing, and another another bounce check isn't going to fix it. So my question is this, can our windows be open? Can they be open over our nation? And if this nation chooses... To not obey God. Let's just say this nation doesn't experience revival. I want to believe it is. I want to believe that there is yet another chance. I want to believe that God can still break through. I, I, I believe that. I preach that. I honestly think that God wants with all of His heart for that to take place. But let's just say, just for the sake of argument, our nation chooses to walk away from God. And He allows the, the windows to stay closed. Then my question is, well, does that mean that I live under a closed heaven? Does that mean that, that the windows can't be opened over my life as I live in this nation who has closed the heavens? Well, the good news to both of these questions is yes, God can open up the heavens over our nation again. And the good news is that yes, God can open up the heavens over your life whether this nation chooses to or not. Now, there's a story in this 1 Kings 17. I, I don't have time to read it all. I'm just going to take a minute to tell you the story. But it's the story of a widow woman in chapter 17. It begins right around verse 8. This economic downturn, this recession had hit her hard. She had literally nothing left to her name. Elijah shows up. And Elijah asks her what she's doing. And she says she's got a little flour. She's got a little oil. She's going to bake a cake. Her and her son are going to sit down. They're going to eat the cake. And then they're going to die. Sounds like a plan, doesn't it? She had nothing left. The economy had hit her. It was recession. She couldn't, she couldn't provide. She couldn't even grow her own gardens. There was no rain, remember? She's a victim of this drought. And it's interesting that Elijah begins to challenge her. And, and I may come back and just touch on this again. But can you imagine? Elijah looks at this widow woman and all she has left is a little flour, a little oil. And Elijah says, make me the cake. Now, wouldn't you love it if the media got a hold of that one today? You could see the headlines. Preacher gets widow's last dime. You could hear it. And can I just share this with you as a preacher? I don't know if others find it easy to do that. If for me, that's not an easy thing to do. I look people in the eyes all the time that I know have struggles and challenges and they're financially challenged and and to look at them at times especially if we're teaching on some form of giving or giving offering exhortations do you understand that as a human being if it were up to me i would probably just say you're exempt i don't even want the responsibility of you doing that but yet at the same time elijah understood the precepts of god he, he issues the challenge and as he issues the challenge, she decides she's going to obey it. And everything she's got is summed up in a little flour and a little oil. And she gives him this cake. Literally, as she gives it to him, she's releasing it to God. And as she releases it to God, all of a sudden, supernaturally, flour and oil begin to flow. It not only stops there, but a little later in the story, her son apparently has some sort of seizure or, or he, he dies from some sort of heart attack. We don't know. But Elijah steps in the scene and he raises the boy from the dead. Now, listen to me here. She's in a nation that's under a closed heaven. But yet she finds herself following some precepts in God that despite everybody being under a closed heaven, God decides He's going to open up the heavens over this widow woman. To where she has all her needs met and even her son who died is brought back from the brink or, or really very death. 
So despite living in this depressed, cursed environment due to a nation's sins, she's able to still reap this open heaven. I'm just sharing this with you folks because I'm telling you where America's going if things don't change. And I intend to stay under an open heaven whether America chooses that or not. You know what? Congress and the White House and everybody can choose whatever they're going to choose. I'm going to do my best to let my voice be heard and exercise my influence and input these things in ways that I'm believing that if enough of us begin to do this, we can turn a nation back to the precepts that have made it great. But if this nation chooses not to do this, I'm just declaring it right now. I am not living under the curse of America. I will live under the blessing of my God because He can still open the heavens over my life. Hear me. He can still open the heavens up over His church. And I'm telling you, that's going to be the answer in the day we're living in because there's going to come a day when everybody's financial situation and everybody's circumstances are going to so collapse that they're all of a sudden going to see the church and when they see answers and solution and blessing and an open heaven, it's going to work like it said in Deuteronomy 28 in those early verses that all may see the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob working in your life. But let me, let me just say this. If you're going to live like the world and function like the world, you'll be under the world's curse. I'm, I'm, I'm helping you out here. We have lived under sloppy agape and this sort of grace heresy that we just think we can just do what we want and live like we want and worship Baal and, and set up our idols and somehow God's obligated to open the windows up for me. And I'm telling you, you're not right. You want to live like the world? You can do it. You may live a long life. You may enjoy certain things because the Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season, but I'm here to tell you, God will not be obligated to open up the windows over you. It says, if you obey the voice of the Lord your God and, and seek to obey all that He has commanded, then will I open up the windows. Now, I understand there's no perfect human being, but God who knows the heart knows those who are walking in completion or those who are walking behind the light. Now, I'm sharing this with you because I'm telling you, I want America to experience revival. I want our nation to turn around. I want God to be honored in our midst. But if America and its leaders choose not to, it will not deter me one bit from serving my God and living for my God and keeping myself and my family and hopefully my church under an open heaven. Now, I'm going to give you several things. What must happen to do this real quick? Write these. I'd write these down. There's going to come a day you're going to have this tucked away in your Bible somewhere and we're going to hit this moment in, in national life and you're going to pull this out and you're going to say, Pastor prophesied of this day. Now listen to me. I, I could go on and prophesy that out of that as people turn to see answers flow out of the church, I honestly believe revival could start then. That the harvest could be brought in. I'll just share this with you too. As much as we'll be blessed and enjoy certain amounts of favor, don't be surprised when they see the blessing on your life that they're going to want to blame you for the problem. Just like Nero did in, early, in the early church. When he couldn't rule right and things went awry and there was a fire that he didn't handle well, he just blamed the Christians. And they were an easy target. So listen to me. This all can fit together so easily. But I'm going to share with you how you can stay under this open heaven. Number one, how do we regain it? We got to walk under divine order. It's amazing how the widow woman instantly responded to the man of God's direction. Now, can I just share this with you? Authority and order for her was not theory. She was betting her life on it. See, for a lot of you, I'll preach up here and I understand I'm a man and you got to hear the voice of the Lord and I get it. And I'm not into power and ego. Believe me, I've been I've been broken and I've had my tail yanked through knot holes so tight. It, my big head couldn't hardly get through it. So I believe me, nobody has to come up and and, and try to explain to me humility. I got it. But 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 I, I don't know any other way to preach it than to just share it. For some of you, you listen to a message or you listen to a sermon and sometimes you just go, oh, that was nice. And you go out of here and it's theory to you. And, and other than that, you don't pay a whole lot of attention to what I'm saying. I'm not mad at you. Really, I don't walk out of here. I don't, I'm not mad. It doesn't really offend me anymore. I've been doing this since I was 19 years old. So I've watched people walk in and out of church for a lot of decades already. But I'm just sharing with you, there comes a moment that you're going to have to hear the voice of the Lord, whether it's through your own devotional life or whether it's through authority or counsel, sound counsel. 
spiritual counsel. You're going to have to start listening to that and you're going to have to translate it out of the theoretical realm and understand that we may have to base our lives on some of these things. Now, I'll tell you what that makes me do. It makes me acutely aware of the fact that I'd better be real sure what I'm sharing with you. Because if I mess that up, God will nail my hide straight to the wall. Oh, I'm acutely aware of that. But you need to be acutely aware of this point, that if we're listening to things and we just said, ah, I don't know, I don't know that I want to do it. Listen, I'm just telling you, you're not going to be prepared like this widow woman here. It's interesting. Jesus, I just wrote this down. Jesus went to be baptized. <clears throat> Think about this for just a minute. Why would Jesus even need to be baptized? In fact, John, when he saw Jesus show up, you remember what John said? He said, I don't know why. I'm baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. I'm not even worthy to loose your sandals. You remember that whole discussion? He was just articulating what I thought on, on occasion. Why in the world did Jesus go to be baptized? It's not like he needed it. But, to, but Jesus' response was, he said to John, no, we're going to do this so all righteousness would be fulfilled. What he meant by that was, he meant that I need to do this in order that I can walk in full obedience. And, and Jesus wasn't just saying that, that the act of baptism was important in order to demonstrate how the rest of us need to do it. But this is what I believe. I believe Jesus was saying, yes, even I need to yield to another to be put under the water and to be brought out. I believe, you can think what you want, I believe Jesus had a pastor. I know some of you are going tilt right now. Yeah, he did. He grew up under authority in his household. He grew up and he, and he saw John the Baptist and he put himself willingly under John the Baptist. He willingly yielded. He willingly submitted to go under the water at the hand of John the Baptist. And then what does God do? He opens up what? And he says, this is my son in whom I am. Now, isn't that amazing? The minute Jesus yields, heaven's open. Christians struggle just like the heathen do, because they refuse to translate the theory of authority into reality. We say we're under. We say we walk in authority. We say we want to be in submission. We say these things. But why is it that there's no open heaven? Folks, I'm just going to tell you, the reason there's no open heaven is because it's theory. God doesn't move because you have the right doctrine. God doesn't move because you have the right theory. He moves when he sees obedience. If you obey the voice of the Lord thy God and diligently seek to do all that he has commanded you, then will I open up the windows of heaven. See, all of us here, we're just so pristine in our doctrine. You know, I'm perfect in my doctrine. I know about being born again. I know about uh, what it means to be filled with the Spirit. I know I'm just, I, I've got the doctrinal stuff down, Pastor. I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. You're not good till you get obedient. He who walks in the light, as he is in the light, then his blood cleanses. The heavens are opened with his blood. Amen. I'm just helping you now. America's headed a direction. I am not walking lockstep with those who are walking under a bronze heaven. There are some right now, I'm telling you, there are people who don't understand at times why I share and teach and preach like I do. I'm telling you because I'm not walking with people who want to walk under a bronze heaven. I'm calling out a people who are willing to walk under an open heaven. I know you ain't perfect and I'm not perfect. All right, we settled that one, didn't we? But we can all purpose to be under an open heaven as best we know how. Amen. I'll let it go. Number two, we got to release our resources in priority. I've already mentioned to you the widow woman here. She just released the little bit she had. Now, listen to me. I'm just telling you, we're talking about open heaven. And, and, and I believe because God uses finances, is it not true? God is using finances to get America's attention. Do I have to illustrate that? We wouldn't even be thinking about this stuff if it weren't for the fact that people can't get jobs, people can't pay their bills, people are, think they're paying too much in, in their taxes. and I mean, all of it boils down to finances. And I never hear anybody on the news look at all the newscasters and talking heads and say, I am sick of hearing so much about money. I don't want to talk about money anymore. Why are they always talking about money? Have you ever thought about that? Why is, why is Fox News always talking about money? They've got whole cable networks that do nothing but talk about your money. 
I mean, I'm tired of them talking. About, why then? What, then don't be tired of me talking about it on occasion. Because I'm trying to get God in your money. And the key was is that they they began to this widow woman began to release her resources in priority. And folks, I'm just telling you, there's going to come a day when we're going to have to get this in our system. That we're going to have to make sure God is honored in the tithe. And and I know the the vast majority of people in this room are tithers. I don't know accurately who is and who's not. Praise God. So I can preach this clean at this moment. Except to say to you that there comes a moment where if you don't believe, if you don't, if you say, I don't even believe in the tithe anymore, then fine. You live under your closed heaven. I'm not going to fuss with you about it. Windows will be closed. The world doesn't believe in tithing either. You know that. I'm not, I've gone through all of this before, but the, the, the Bible says that if we'd be faithful in this regard, what God will, Randy read it this morning, I will open up the windows of and pour you out a blessing you'll not be able to contain. Now you see, to the widow woman, can you imagine what her natural mind was doing at that moment that Elijah said, give me the flour, give me the oil, and she's holding it and saying, I don't have, this is all I've got. Listen, this is what the widow woman came to the conclusion of this. She, she didn't say, I can't afford to give this. She couldn't afford not to. Because what if she gave it away? She's going to die anyway. I mean, she's just one cake less of a death. I mean, she'd reached the place where it says, what am I going to do with it? I don't have enough to... I've watched people for years and they've said to me, I can't afford to tithe. I mean, I can't even pay my electric bill. I can't do this. I can't do that. Hey, what are you going to do? They're going to shut the electricity off anyway. They're going to foreclose anyway. And you're worrying about the 10 bucks you got in your pocket. And you owe thousands and you're going, what am I going to do? I can't, I can't afford to give this ten dollars. You can't, come on, you can't afford not to. We're talking about an open heaven. You go ahead and keep your ten bucks with your closed heaven. I'll give mine away and watch the heavens open. I've done it for years. Recent surveys have told me that through the recession, giving is down. People, it used to be a whopping 3.6% the average American would give to charity. A whopping 3.6%. Now during the recession, the last couple of years, they say it's 1.6. Now, aren't we bright? 3.6 isn't even where we should be. But what do we do? It's recession, so we're going we're gonna to keep it because we can't afford. Listen, we can't afford not to. We cannot afford not to. There comes a moment that you got to decide who you trust and whose heaven you're going to walk under. If you think Washington and the economy and your boss and all of these people control your open heaven, then you do what you got to do. But I am trusting in the Lord my God that if I obey the voice of the Lord my God and diligently seek to observe all that He has commanded me, He will open up the heavens. But you'll never know until you move out of theory and get to obedience. Number three, we must arise to face the enemy. I gotta hurry. How do the windows get opened? Because here in 1 Kings chapter 18, will you let me read it? It says here at the end of it that Elijah goes through all these things, and I'm gonna get back to it, but he as he begins to speak in 1 Kings 18, it says that Elijah says to Ahab, verse 41, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went to the top of Mount Carmel. Then he bowed down on the ground, put his face between his knees, and said to his servant, Go up now, look towards the sea. So he went up and looked and said, There's nothing. And seven times he said, Go again. So seven times Elijah is praying, and he sends his servant to see if it's raining yet. And his servant comes back and says, Nope, it's not raining. So seven times he sends them back and forth, back and forth. Verse 44, Then it came to pass the seventh time. He said, there's a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. And it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. And then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, girded up his loins, and he ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Now listen, how did that happen? How did the rain eventually show up? It says that they were under divine order. They released their resources in priority. Number three is he arose with courage to face the enemy. There's so much good stuff here. He went, remember Mount Carmel? And he went and faced the false prophets of Baal. And he said, guys, I'll tell you what we're going to do. You call upon your God and you do your thing and I'm going to do my thing. And the God that answers by fire, it is he who we will worship. And you know the story. 
The prophets of Baal do their thing. They begin to cut themselves, which, by the way, do you understand? And I'm just telling young people, if you're cutting yourselves, you're practicing the ways of the prophets of Baal. I'll just leave it like that. But they did their thing. They cut themselves. They danced. They did all the things that the Baals do, and nothing happened. And then it was Elijah's turn. It was interesting. He said, go get some water. He literally doused the altars with water just to, to taunt them. And he begins to pray. And when he prays, fire comes down. You know the story. Consumes the altars, consumes the false prophets as well. You know why God consumed the false prophets? Because Jezebel had killed true prophets. You see, what a man soweth. That shall he also reap. But, but a part of how the heavens were opened again was when Elijah stood and he faced the enemy. Folks, we're going to have to, if we're going to walk under an open heaven, then we got to quit being timid before the world and timid before uh, the devil himself. And we, we, we just got, we just got to start having confidence and assurance that God is God and he will provide and he is our God and it is truth. And I'm sorry, people are twisting and convoluting truth to make us feel weird if we hold on to the truth. And it's time to cease being weird because we're following the ways of God. They have twisted minds. I listen to newscasters. I listen to people and their minds are convoluted because they don't, they don't want to embrace the truth. They don't want to stand in the challenges they face. If your coworkers and your neighbors and the people you go to school with and those that you interact with look at you like you've lost your mind or they attack you on the basis of your beliefs, just let a smile come on your face. Continue to maintain your challenge because God's heavens will open over you. Come on now. you got to be courageous. Courageous. Boy, I wish I could land there for a while. i got to go on number four. got to embrace true worship. The Baals worshipped, Elijah worshipped. The heavens opened over those who worshipped God in spirit and in truth. In fact, it says in Revelation 19 that when the elders and the people came together to worship God, it says that the heavens began to open. You know why there's an open heaven here? It's because we've begun to worship God. I understand. We, 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 we aren't the trendiest and the niftiest and we aren't the most skilled and, and, and we're doing our best to give God our very best and but I'm just telling you, when we come and we give God everything we got with the very best we've got, God will open the heavens. And he will move to those people. That's what it says, that the hour has come and is even now that God is looking for. He is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And then number five, I already mentioned it. I read it to you. We got to pray tenaciously for the rain. Elijah had to pray and check how many times? Seven times. He had to pray and go check. Seven times. Some things, you know what? We've lost this concept. It used to be, some of you that are older saints, you'll know this. Do you remember when we used to talk about praying through? I know, we don't pray through anymore. We just sort of just sort of mouth a few little things and then we're done. Let me, some things still have to be prayed through. You pray through till you got a hold of it. You pray through till you know God's heard you. You pray through until you got the deed of faith in your heart for that thing. Sometimes you just got to stay on your knees and you just keep praying and keep praying and keep praying and keep believing. You say, how long? Until you got it. If it's seven times, hallelujah. If it's eight times, praise God. If it's ten times, pray ten times. I don't, if it's a hundred and ten times. If it's a thousand and ten times. There comes a moment that we have got to pray until we pray through. And if we'll pray tenaciously and keep on our knees and keep our face towards God, I'm telling you, we'll begin to see a little cloud out in the distance. Have you ever read James chapter 5? He actually references this and then I'm done. James chapter 5, I'm, 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 I'm closing, I'm landing. Coming in for a landing. Get your seatbelts on. Tray tail, tables up and folded in uplocked position. Get out of the bathroom. We're fixing to land. James 5, 16, it says, Confess your trespasses to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Listen, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now listen to the illustration he gives right after this. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Isn't that good to know? He's just like you and me. 
He went any different. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. When you pray the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man, that doesn't mean just any person. It means somebody who, who if they obey the voice of the Lord their God and diligently seek to obey all that he has said, then will he come? I'm going to end in James as well. Back up a few verses to chapter, still in chapter 5, verse 7, and then we're done. Listen to this. It says, therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. You also be patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. What James says here is this. He says, before Jesus comes. I want you to hear me. I believe Jesus is coming. Probably sooner than most of us think. He says that before Jesus comes, there's going to be a deluge. In, in, in Israel, there were the early rains that prepared the land, and then there were the latter rains, which would give the, the, the ground and, and the produce its extra boost in order to make it a great harvest. And so the, the farmers would always like the early and the latter rains. But this is used to give a spiritual illustration about how God moves amongst his people and how God moves on the earth. And there's rains, there's revivals that come in order to prepare the ground for the seed. There's, there's a latter rain that will come in order to give the harvest that extra oomph, that extra boost. But he says there's coming a day before the coming of the Lord that the early and the latter rains will come together. It will rain of his presence. It will rain of his spirit on the earth from an open heaven. You say, well, what will happen? Well, Joel prophesied what would happen. He said that in that day, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. In fact, in the book of Joel, uh, chapter 2, he talks about there will be an unusual harvest that will begin to be uh, brought into the life of the church. He says, be glad for these things. Your threshing floors will be full of wheat. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. I'm going to restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. My great army, which I sent among you, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. You'll praise the name of your God who's dealt wondrously with you. My people shall never be put to shame. Then you shall know that I am the Lord in your midst. I am the Lord, your God. There's none other. My people shall never be put to shame. And it shall come to pass that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. How many of you know if our sons and daughters are prophesying, that means they're probably saved. Old men shall dream dreams, young men shall see visions. What God says is this, he says, there's coming a day that if we will do these things and purpose ourselves, whether this nation decides to do it or not, if we will purpose ourselves to walk in such a way that the heavens can be opened over us, that's what he says will happen. You won't be put to shame. You'll see the greatest revival, you'll see the greatest moving of God you've ever seen in all of your life. If you obey the voice of the Lord thy God and diligently seek to do all that he commands you, then I will open up the heavens, says the Lord. Now, if you don't want to, you don't have to. Nobody will force you. I'm not coming and making you. Nobody will make you. That's the wonderful thing about God. He doesn't make anybody do it. Really, they don't have a heart to do. He just simply says this. I will make the heavens bronze. And it will be dust. I don't know about you. I don't want my life to be dust. I want my life to flourish. I believe you do too, don't you? Stand with me, will you?